you gathered here this morning for worship. I don't know if you knew that, but that's, that's what we're doing. Gathering for worship, it's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. I mean, it is a good idea, but it's not just a good idea. It's a command to worship. Your father says, come. Your father says, get here before me. And for many of you, this response to worship is second nature. And that's a good thing. To come before him. And it's also needful and good for us that we get to reflect again on the nature of what we're doing. Think about this. You came here this morning. You secured your seat. And then you waited. You talked to some people. You got yourself some coffee. You got a donut. And you waited. Well, in fact, you've actually been waiting ever since you left here last week. You've been waiting for this moment. Now, it's at a specific time, obviously, right? You've been waiting for 1030. It could be 9, it could be 10, it could be 11, it could be 2. It's arbitrary. It's an arbitrary time. But this is not an arbitrary moment that you've been waiting for. It's the moment where you answer God's call to come worship. And Psalm 81, it shows us Again, for our good, just how significant this moment is. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Lord God, we come before you. Acknowledging our weakness and our need. And we ask that you would use this word. We ask that by your spirit that you would send out this word and that it would not return void. We ask that you would do with this word what your people need. We pray that you would comfort. We pray that you would confront. We pray that you would convict. And Lord, we pray that you and all of these things would conform us to the image of your Son, that you would produce in us by your Spirit through this Word that fruit that glorifies you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So God commands worship. He calls you to worship, and that means a few things. Actually, five from Psalm 81. 
in calling you to worship, in commanding you to worship. First of all, he is calling you to praise. That's like the first five verses, or at least one to the first part of five. It says, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise the song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of God, of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. As it was for the people in this psalm, worship is festival. You heard that. One little phrase. Our feast day. That's festival. It's a celebration. In fact, this psalm, I mean, it's a couple of different ways. It could be one of the festivals was the Feast of Booths. Another one might have been Passover that this would have been used. But they're festivals. I'll read you really quickly just a little bit that shows this in Deuteronomy 14, you don't have to turn there. I just want you to hear this. God calls these people. He says, okay, there's going to be a time where you're going to go to the place where I've put my name, and you're going to come make sacrifice. But if it's a really long way, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn all the stuff, right, your, your, your goods, the stuff that you would bring with your, for your tithe, I want you to turn that into money. And then I want you to bring that money in your hand. And here's what I want you to do when you get to the place where I put my name. God says, spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within the towns, for he has no portion. That sounds like festival. 16, Deuteronomy 16, this is like the Feast of Booze, right? So here's, listen to this. And of course, on Passover you're eaten. You shall keep the Feast of Booze seven days when you have gathered in the produce of your threshing floor, your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. It is festival that's what Psalm 81 and many of the Psalms are talking about. Festival. Well, as it was for them, the same is true for you. You gather on a feast day. You know, we don't gather in an auditorium. We gather in a banquet hall. We gather on the Lord's day around the Lord's table. 
This is a feast day for you. You eat. You rejoice. But we've already done some of those things that the psalmist is talking about. He says we sing, we shout, we raise a song, we sound music. And all of that, all of that that you do here is in a particular direction. It's not just out there going nowhere. You sing aloud to God. You shout to God. And you do that because you have a particular connection to God. You sing out loud to God because He is your strength, your power. God, your strength. You're going to see, if you read a little bit further, we just touch on that in verse 5. That all of this singing is... The shouting is connected to Egypt. It goes all the way back there because that's where God showed his power. That's where God showed his strength. That is what they are rejoicing over, what he has done. And you shout, not just to any God, you shout to the God of Jacob. That's your God too. You know why? You shout and you sing to that God who showed his strength that way, who is the God of Jacob. You know why? Because that God is the God that revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And all of this singing and shouting and making music, you don't do that alone. You don't. You do that in Christ. You do it in Christ. I mean, quite literally. Because you know he's the one leading this thing this morning. That's what the author of Hebrews was saying in chapter 2. Because Christ took on your flesh, Jesus Christ, your brother, leads you in song. He says this, I will tell of your name to my brothers. That's you. Christ is saying, I will tell of your name, Father, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. He leads you in this singing and this shouting and this making music. God commands worship. He calls us to praise, to gather, to sing, shout. In order to do what comes next, to remember. God calls you to remember. That's the last part of verse 5 to 7. And this first little part of it is interesting. It's this kind of, a, kind of a, a pause for a second. It's a voice. This is a voice that comes sort of on the scene. Probably would have been a prophet or a priest the congregation, to the congregation, but he's representing the congregation. It says, I hear a language I had not known. It's an odd phrasing. One of the things that that voice 
could be uh, announcing in worship is, There's this, there are these words that I heard that are amazing. It's the stuff of awe. And it's unimaginable, this stuff this, that we're hearing. That's what this, that's what this means. Right? This, I, I heard lips. I heard speech. And it blew my mind. That's one way of reading that little phrase. Another way of reading it that may fit better is this. I listened to lips. I listened to speech that I had not acknowledged. What this leader in the worship might be saying is those very things that are beautiful, the stuff of awe, the unimaginable. We're going to get to that. That's what all the rest of the psalm is about. But all of that stuff, it's also very painful because what I recognize in hearing this again is I hadn't acknowledged it. Right? The psalmist, this leader, in worship in that moment is reminding them of their history. Didn't acknowledge. But there's sort of like an up note here. It's sort of like saying this, I was not listening, but now I am. Tell me, tell me. These amazing, awe-inspiring, unimaginable things. And then he does. Verses 6 and 7, this is what God says. Again, this is referencing Egypt. I relieved your shoulder of the burden, your hands freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place thunder. God is reminding them, calling them to remember what he did. He speaks to shoulders that are straining under the weight of mud and straw. He speaks to hands that carried baskets full of heavy bricks. And he says, from that struggle, from that pain... I rescued you. You saw my might at the sea when I thundered from the clouds, from my throne room in heaven, and I split the sea. You walked over on dry ground. Your enemies got covered over. He's saying, remember what I've done. He's calling us to remember. Do you remember? God is asking, saying to you, remember, I delivered you from the domain of darkness. I transferred you to the kingdom of my beloved son. I did that for you. Remember. That's what we do here. He calls us to praise. He calls us to remember and then kind of the centerpiece here, he calls you to listen. That's the last part of 7 and then to 10.
I tested you at the waters of Mirabah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God says to them, remember how I sweetened that water just after you came out of the sea. And I said to you then, listen to my voice. Listen to me. And that's what he's saying again. As they worship at that festival, listen to me, my people. I am your God. And now, right now, as you gather right here for worship at this festival, God is saying to you right now, listen. Listen to me. Listen to me, my people. Take that in. If worship is about nothing, it is about listening. Right now, what God says to you is, you have no other gods. Listen. You have no other God. You invite in here, you call upon no other God. You dwell with no other God. No other God dwells with you here. You sing to no other. You shout to no other. No other belongs here in this, in this moment. No other belongs here. No other fits because they are not me. Listen, they are not me. They're not me because they did not rescue you. They did not heal you. I did. I do. Listen. I am the God. I am your God. Listen to me. And this listening means doing. Not just taking in the sound waves. It means doing. And you know what this doing is? Are you ready for this? Ready? Open wide your mouth. Ah, ah, ah. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. Is it open? Do you hear him? He's saying that to you right now. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Are you hurt this morning? Open wide your mouth. Are you broken? 
Open wide your mouth. Are you mourning? Open wide your mouth. Are you weak? Open wide your mouth. Are you poor? Open it. Open wide your mouth. Are you rich? Open wide your mouth. Are you strong? Open wide your mouth. Are you well? Open wide your mouth. Are you content? Open wide your mouth. Open wide your mouth because wherever you are on the map, he sees you. He sees your need for him even when you don't. And you have an insatiable need for him. It is insatiable. It is bottomless. That is the way you were made. And this is the wonderful thing about our God is he says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Your God promises to give generously. Fill generously all you need for life. This whole thing is like telling somebody who's hungry, eat! Or better, let me feed you. It is your God who fills, and he assures you that he will do it. He fills you with his spirit. He fills you with his word. He fills you with the very praise that you offer up to him. Listen. Listen. He calls us to praise, to remember, and to listen. And then he calls us to repent. He calls you to, to repent. In verses 11 and 12. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Yuck. You can identify with the people of God there then. And you've heard the stories. We all have. We've heard the stories of their fickleness and their failure. And you, all know, you also know this. In hearing their story, you know, you know that you hear your own. Right? You know how unwilling you can be to open your mouth. Right? Our half-hearted and ungrateful mouth opening, right, where we go like this. Huh? Okay. Or, not at all. Mm. Or, we open it wide to another. You know how strong the pull to follow your own way is. You could all attest to that. You fight, you resist his voice, just like them. And sometimes you get way down the road on that fighting and resisting. Way down the road. Some of you may be there right now. Way down the road. 
fighting, resisting, refusing. In big and small ways, over and over again, all of you find yourself down that road. And over and over again, I'm sure this is many of your experience, over and over again, you find yourself back here. And you're asking yourself, why did I refuse to listen? You feel it. You know it. You come face to face with something in that. In this moment of worship. This call to repent. You come face to face with something that one particular confession of sin, I think, captures really well. It goes like this. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And here it is. This is like the punchline. This is when we come to the end of ourselves, what we're realizing in this refusal, this unwillingness to open wide our mouths to him. It says this, apart from your grace, there is no health in us. Apart from your grace, do you get that? Do you get that? What you're seeing what you are learning in your struggle to listen is that you can do nothing apart from him, apart from his grace, apart from his grace, apart from his grace. There's no help. And this is always true of you. You don't get beyond that. And your God and your Father knows this. This is what's amazing about this final section. Your God calls you to praise and to remember, to listen, to repent. And he also calls you to hope. That's the last few verses, 13 to 16. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey. From the rock, I would satisfy you. Did you hear what he is saying to you? This is utterly amazing. He just said, but my people did not listen to my voice. I would not, they would, Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And now he comes back and he says, oh, that you would listen. 
You, are, you turn away. You're down the road. And your he- heavenly Father is still longing. He is still giving to you. He's giving you every reason to come back again. He's doing that right here, right now. Just listen to me. Follow me. That is mercy. That's what he shows you. There are some places where you see this wonderfully illustrated. In Hosea, verse 11, I mean chapter 11, he says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they, call, they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, burning offerings to idols. Ah, somewhere else. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. And then here's eight and nine. How can I give up on you? Oh, Ephraim, how can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. This is God talking. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. That's mercy. In Jeremiah 31, he says this, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. He's saying this to people who are in exile. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Verse 18, he says, I heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed, and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. And then God responds, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, listen to this, I do remember him still, still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. That is what your God says to you. That is the hope that he gives, that he provides. And you noticed that last verse, verse 16. 
He promises to feed them with bread. He promises to satisfy them with drink. This promise, this hope, pushed the people of God then to look forward. Even the one in Jeremiah and Hosea, pushing forward. Because all those festivals, all those sacrifices, all of that bread, all of that drink, and the land, all of it culminates in Christ. Your Father says to you, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I mentioned the Spirit and the Word and praise. Do you know how else? He fills it. Right now. Jesus, the one who leads us in song, he says to you, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is me, my flesh. Jesus says to you this morning, open your mouth wide and I will will fill it. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus says, open your mouth and I will fill it. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus says to you, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Open your mouth wide, and Christ will fill it. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for these brief moments that we had. Again, we ask that you would you would grant by your spirit you would give all that you require. Grant us grace to listen. Grant us the grace that we need by your spirit to open our mouths. Father, grant us hearts that see our sin, that see our refusal, our unwillingness, and return to you. Lord, would you strengthen us? 
Would you raise us up? Would you teach us to walk with you and make us like your son? In Christ's name we pray.